It's an honor to be with you this morning. Like Pastor Ben, my brother Ben said, I'm his younger, but he left out a a key phrase, a key word there. He forgot better looking brother uh, in there. Uh, No, for my wife and I, Callie, we love uh, just our family. and, And I'm a pastor at a church in Raleigh, North Carolina. And so if you know anything about ministry life, having weekends off is few and far between. And uh, we are just uh, excited to be with you guys, to to worship with you, to dive into God's word with you today. And we're going to be in Psalm 101. So if you have God's word, go ahead and turn to Psalm 101. This is a Psalm of David. It's a royal Psalm. This is a, uh, how he was wanting to lead the people of Israel. This was his declaration on how he wanted to lead. But it's also a song, you're good, brother. It's also a song, a psalm for how he wanted to lead not only the nation of Israel, but also his house, his home. And so for us, as we're entering into the time of Thanksgiving and of Christmas, I can't think of a better psalm to direct our attention to and our hearts towards this morning and press in and see how David is calling us to lead our own homes, how we're called to live in community, how we're called to parent. And so I know even just that word parent, some of you in the room are like, hey, I'm grandparenting. That's the best job in the world. I get to spoil them and send them home. Hey, this is a psalm for you because you're called to help raise those children too. If you're here in the house this morning, you're not a parent. You might be single or you might be dating and that's just the next stage of life for you or that might not even be in the cards for you. This is still a psalm for you, a word for you, because we are all called to be a part of building the household of God. So whenever I talk about parenting today, you can substitute that word parent for discipleship all throughout the text and as we go through. But for the parents in the room, those who have parented, parenting is hard, right? Can I get an amen on that? Parenting is hard, and I fail at parenting all the time. A few months ago, my wife had to go out of town because of her job took her out of town, and I had the kids for three straight days all by myself. But I was going to try to be super dad one morning and make pancakes and get them dressed for school and get them out and actually get there on time. But dads, you know, when you try to do those things, parents, you know, the best laid intentions just fall apart. Pancakes burned. They're fighting at the breakfast table. We're late to school. And the whole time, my son and my daughter, they're nine and seven, they're just arguing and and getting at each other. And at first, I was trying to be like a a grace-centered parent, just like, hey, guys, that's not how God wants us to talk to each other. This is how we should address each other, you know. But I reached that tipping point. And that tipping point was when my son punched my daughter leg in the arm. And she starts crying, and he's laughing. I slam on the brakes. And instead of trying to discipline him, I said, Lay, I want you to punch your brother as hard as you can. She stopped crying and started smiling. (laughs) And my son started crying because he knows that his his older sister, Lay, has some heavy hands. Like she can pack a punch. And she said, I'm not going to get in trouble, Dad. I was like, no, I'm tired of him hitting you. You punch him anywhere you want as hard as you can. And she reared back and him square in the shoulder and she starts laughing even more and he's crying even harder. Part of me was like, ah, that's good parenting. But then as we drove to school, I was like, that wasn't good parenting at all. I failed as a parent. Parenting is so challenging. 
And my heartbeat for us today isn't to condemn anyone, but to help us see through Psalm 101 a blueprint for how God wants us to lead our homes, a blueprint for discipleship, a blueprint for his house. And we're going to fail in it, but our Father never fails in this. So let's read Psalm 101. David says, I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will, ne- I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land and that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. So church, this morning, I want to lay out a blueprint for intentional parenting, a blueprint for intentional discipleship. Because if you're ever going to build a home, you need to know the structure and how to build it. And so this morning, I have four steps in this blueprint from Psalm 101 that's going to help you be an intentional parent in discipleship. The first one is this, worship is the foundation When you're building a home, the first thing you lay down is a foundation. Worship is the foundation. Intentional parenting is built on the gospel. It's built on gospel-centered worship. Go back and look at verse 1 with me. David starts off this psalm on how he wants to lead in praise. He says, I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. Praise and worship is the foundation of our lives. It's the foundation of our homes. It's the foundation of the church. We're all created to worship. Every single one of us is created to worship. We're all worshiping someone or something. What we praise, what we lift up, what we sing about, what we talk about, what we give our money to, those are the things that we worship. To worship is to praise or declare the proper worth of someone or something. For David, he knew that there was only one that could carry the weight of our worship. He knew that money couldn't carry the weight of his worship. He knew that fame couldn't carry the weight of his worship. He knew the American dream couldn't carry the weight of his worship. He knew his family couldn't even carry the weight of his worship. There was only one, the Lord, Yahweh. And that even points to how he views the Lord, Yahweh. That When you see Lord in all caps, that's God's name, the name that God gave himself. I am who I am, Yahweh. So we see that David's heart in his worship, it's a personal. He knows the Lord. And not only is it personal, he knows the character of God. So often in the Old Testament, we think of God as justice. But how does he start it off? I will sing of your steadfast love and justice. He's reminding himself of the character and the name of God. Trinity, there's only one that can carry the weight of your worship. And his name is Jesus. Why can he carry it? 
because he carried the cross. No other picture of God's love and justice is displayed louder than the cross. That's what we see. God's love for us, that God stepped out of the throne room of heaven, took on flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, lived the perfect life, the life that you and I could not live. He was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. He was the perfect spotless lamb of God that was slain. So we see how God loves us by sending us Jesus. And not only he loves us by sending us Jesus, by Jesus dying for us. If you're here this morning and you're doubting that God loves you and cares for you, all you have to do is look to the cross. But we also see at the cross, the love of God and the justice of God colliding. At that moment, Jesus became the just and the justifier. Because of all of my sin, all of your sin was laid upon Jesus. And Jesus drank the full cup of the wrath of God for our sin. And he declared, it is finished. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's what we got done singing about this morning, that Jesus is the king of kings. And that we see on the cross the love and justice of God coming together. That's the beauty of the gospel, and that's what we're called to build our lives upon is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So parents, mom, dad, I want to ask you a simple question this morning. What song are you singing? What song is being sung with your words and your actions and your thoughts in your time, your talent, your treasure in your home. Dads, do your kids hear more about your golf game or your favorite football team than they hear you talking about the word of the Lord? Do you get more excited when your team scores a touchdown instead of singing about the resurrection of Jesus? Are you more faithful to praise a bump in the stock market than to praise what God is doing in your family? Moms, do, you hear, do your kids hear the song of stress in your home, the song of worry over your finances and circumstances? Do they hear the song of anxiety about the future? Or do they hear the song that God is faithful and he will take care of his children? Parents, are you more intentional to disciple your kids on the soccer field or the classroom instead of the promises of God? Our kids are listening. Parents, your kids are listening to the song that your life is singing. Grandparents in the room, what song are you singing? Are your grandchildren hearing the song that it's better just to retire at ease instead of being at work in the mission of God? Single people in the room, what song is your family hearing? What song is your coworkers hearing? What song is your roommates hearing? Is your song more about self and having the best experiences or is it about the supremacy of Christ? We're all singing a song. And for David, it wasn't by chance, it was by choice. Look, at, look at, again at verse one, he says, I will make music. Making music doesn't just happen by chance. It happens by choice. David is choosing to declare the faithfulness, the character of Jesus. 
If you want to have a gospel-centered home, laying that foundation doesn't just happen by accident. It happens with intentionality. Intentionally choosing to be faithful to coming to where you're at right now, to the collection of the saints, the church, be more committed to this than going to the gym. Being more committed to pray with your kids than you are to watch Netflix. Being more committed to encourage your kids to serve than being served yourself. And as you're a parent this morning, like my heartbeat isn't to condemn us at all, but to challenge us. Man, we need to lay a godly foundation for our homes. And one simple way I do this is the three M's. The three M's. One, the first M is this, moments. Capture the moments of everyday life. Like every day you're going to drive, maybe you're driving your kids to school. Use that moment in the car to talk intentionally with them. Before they get out of the car, pray for them. When your son hits your daughter, having that moment to disciple him instead of furthering on his own sin. We have moments every single day to be intentional with discipleship. The second M is meals. One of the greatest things you can do as a family is eat together. If you've read through the gospel of Luke, all throughout Luke, Jesus is going from meal to meal to meal to meal. And people, the Pharisees are like, Jesus, all you do is eat and drink. But there's purpose in that. Because the meal is where we can have fellowship. The meal is where we can have intimacy. The meal is where we can get to actually press in on what's going on in our hearts. For our home, our, I love our meal times. My son is seven, and very often in the ride home, I'm like, bud, how was your day? And he gives me a thumbs up. And I'm like, man, I want to get deeper. It's actually at that meal time, I can't get my little man to stop talking. I'm like, bro, you got to eat your green beans. Stop talking. But meals. The third one is milestones. Every kid is going to have different milestones in their life. When they go to kindergarten, when they go to middle school, when they come to know the Lord, when they have a baptism, when they go off to college, there's specific milestones that as a family, you need to celebrate and point your kids in the direction of the glory of God. So use those three M's, moments, meals, milestones to help you lay that foundation. I'm so thankful for my family. Uh, uh, I know you've probably heard many stories about our family growing up. Uh, my brother and myself, we love stories. And we were not the perfect family at all. But I'm so thankful that my parents did live with some intentionality. When my dad came to know the Lord, he started working in fellowship of Christ Christian athletes. And I saw firsthand how my dad gave up himself to serve others. He would be wringing himself out so that others could receive life. I saw my mom every day sing the song of prayer over her children. There wasn't a day that went by that she didn't pray over us in the car before we hopped out to go to school, or she said, hey, I've already been praying for you. And the amazing thing is it still hasn't stopped. She sung the song of prayer over her children. For my brother Ben, he doesn't even know this, but when he was responding to the call of ministry, he moved back home after college to go to Reform Theological Seminary. I was in high school. And every day I would wake up around 6 to 6.30 to get ready for school. Ben would already be up at our kitchen table reading the word of God. We never talked. We never even looked at each other. He was just pressing into the scriptures because he knew that the word of God was life for him. And for two years, every day, I got to see my older brother declaring a song of the importance of the word of God to me. 
So parents, grandparents, singles, what song are you declaring? What foundation are you laying for your family? That's the first one. I got to speed up. The second one is this. Integrity is the framework. So if you lay the foundation, then the framing of a house, the bones of the house is integrity. Intentional parenting is framed by integrity. Intentional discipleship is framed by integrity. This is what verses two through four are talking about, where where David says, I will ponder the way that is blameless. I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. In verse three, uh, in verse two, that word integrity comes from the Hebrew word tome, which means upright, perfect, complete. It's a picture that you are the same person in private as you are in public. You're not two different men. You're not two different women. You are the same. You are complete. Integrity is the framing of your house. And he actually gives us three ways to press into this integrity. Because if you ever have built a house, if you ever bought a house, you know that what's most important isn't the outside paint job. What's most important is the bones of the house. That's what they say when you go visit a house, you're like, man, this house has good what? Bones. It's talking about the insides. It's strong. It's structurally sufficient. And for us in our homes, that is integrity. And he, we lay out the integrity of the mind. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Men in the room, I want to challenge you to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive to obey Christ with your mind. Women of the room, I want to challenge you to renew your mind every single day because we have an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. We have a world that wants to blind us and distract us. And we have to be constantly renewing our mind and taking thoughts captive because what you think about is who you become. Following Jesus is a battle of the mind. This is why David and many of the Psalms talk about meditation. Meditation. So often I take the water gun approach to scripture. I'm running late. I think about a verse for two minutes. It's like your mind is, for those parents, your mind is like a sponge. You know, you soak up things. And what I do, for two minutes, I just squirt it with some water and hope something sticks. That's not meditation. Meditation is soaking in the word of God. It is filling your mind of truth and promises and letting it affect your thoughts all the way to your heart, to your actions. And so we see we're called to have the integrity of the mind. Secondly, we're called to have the integrity of the heart. That's what verses three and fourth are talking about. I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. Parents, the greatest gift you can ever give your kids isn't an inheritance. It's not a great education. It's not a a fun weekend at Disney. The greatest gift you could ever give your kids is to love Jesus more. It's to love Jesus more than you love your kids. What every boy needs to see is that their daddy loves Jesus more than anyone else. What every little girl needs to see is a mom that loves Jesus more than anything else. And I love verse four where he says, a perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. That's the picture of repentance. Because we're going to fail at this. Especially with our mind and our heart, we're going to be, our affections and our thoughts are all over the place. And so we have to be constantly repenting. That's why I love the time right before the word. It gave us a time just to confess our sin to God. 
when Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, he, was, he actually said, give us our daily bread. And then what comes next? Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. He's helping us see that just like our daily bread, bread repentance should be daily. That we should run to God. And the beautiful thing about Christ, we're not met with condemnation. That's why I love Luke 15. The story of the prodigal son. The father isn't there with his arms crossed, pointing at you. Man, I told you not to do that again. How does he receive the prodigal? He runs to him with arms open and welcomes him back home. So our confession is never met with condemnation. It's actually met with celebration because God knows the greatest thing we need is him. An integrity of the heart. Before I actually let the kids get out to go to school, I parked right before the school and we got out and I just had a conversation with my son and daughter and said, Jordan, dad messed up. He shouldn't have told Lay to punch you. That wasn't right. That's not how we handle our disagreements. And as a seven-year-old, he nodded. He's like, yeah, dad, we're not supposed to hit others. I'm like, you're right, we're not. My daughter was a little harder to convince because <laughs> it felt good. I was like, Lay, that was anger. That's not the righteousness that God wants us to show others. We're actually called to be quick to listen and slow to become angry. And I just had a time of just repenting to them as their father. I wanted to model just repentance so they can see it, but then also let them know that dad still needs Jesus. Dad needs Jesus just as much as they do. So if you're here this morning, if you're a parent, I want to encourage you to model repentance with your children. You don't have to be perfect in the hour of your tower. You need to be saying, hey, mom and dad need Jesus just as much as you do. We love our kids more when we love them less than God. Third, we see the, the integrity of the eyes. He says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Whew. This is the verse that has been constantly working on my heart because I can... I think culture in general, we can set so many worthless things in front of our eyes. So I did a little research on this, and I found out that the average U.S. adult, I'm not talking about millennials, and I'm not talking about Gen Z, the younger, I'm talking about, you know, 35 and older, the average U.S. adult spends two and a half hours scrolling on some type of social media a day. The average U.S. adult spends over four hours streaming some type of service a day, like Hulu or Netflix or whatever you like to watch. Four hours a day. If you add those two up, that's six and a half hours a day that we are distracted with things in front of our face. That's more than most people work in a day. We are so distracted. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, how great is the darkness? Your attention shapes your affections. What you look at shapes your mind and your heart. We're called to frame our lives with integrity. The third step on the blueprint for building an intentional home, for intentional parenting is that of humility. Humility is the joist or the truss that hold up a home. If you don't have the joist or the structure in, in the ceiling, then the roof will cave in, the, the house, the framing will cave in on itself. So humility is the, what upholds the house. Intentional parenting is supported by humility. 
This is what verse five is pressing in on. Whoever slanders his neighbor, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look, a prideful look, an arrogant heart, I will not endure. You've probably heard it said, pride goes before the what? The fall. Pride goes before the fall. It goes before destruction. But you know what upholds a house? Humility. You know what upholds a church? Humility. Humility is not thinking of yourself less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is encouragement. Humility supports. Humility counts others greater than yourself. Humility builds up instead of criticizes and tears down. Every home needs the supports of humility. Every church needs the supports of humility. And I have just a quick test that that I put on my own heart when I think about humility. And I would love to share this with you because naturally I'm so prideful, I think I'm actually kind of humble, you know? So here's a little test to, to help you think through that. The first one is this, parents, do you get more upset that your kids disobey your commands or God's commands? Do you get more upset when your kids break your law or God's law? I know for me, sometimes I get more upset they just didn't obey me instead of God. It shows my prideful heart. Dads, are you quicker to get angry than to listen? Moms, are you quicker to criticize or to encourage? Singles in the room, do you post more than you pray? Because a prayerless life is evidence of a prideful life. Humility is recognizing that we aren't in control, but God is. I love what Paul David Tripp says about this idea of humility in parenting. He says, good parenting lives at the intersection of humble omission of personal powerlessness and a confident rest in the power and grace of God. Parents, you'll become a much better parent when you embrace humility and actually understand that God actually loves your kids more than you do. He has a future for them, promises for them, and his grace is sufficient for them. The goal of parenting, the goal of discipleship isn't just to create perfect kids. It's to point our kids to a perfect savior. My kids don't need just moral modification. They need life transformation. The goal of parenting isn't to keep our kids safe in a bubble. It's to send them out like arrows for the glory of God. That's what Psalm 127 says. And to pull back and to let go, not just to hoard and keep safe. And I love how Jesus leads his church in this. He built his house with humility. Just hear God's word in this. He humbled himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the same, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. God is calling us to support and hold up our homes with humility, and he does the same. Lastly, the last step in building an intentional home, the last step of this blueprint from Psalm 101 is community. Community is the roof that covers your home. Intentional parenting is covered with community. That's what verses six through eight are pressing in on. He says, uh, the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with David. 
that they may minister to him. Verse 7, that the, no one who practices deceit may dwell in his house. Verse 8, he's trying to purify the city of the Lord. We need each other as we disciple, as we build the church, as we parent. You can't live life alone. Discipleship never happens in isolation, but in relationship with each other. Parents in the room, Barna has done studies of how when kids go off to college, over 70% end up walking away from the faith. But they have found out to help curve that and, and actually stop that from happening. They've seen that when families, that children, when they have five gospel-centered relationships outside of mom and dad, that number drops way down. It drops way down. I worked in student and college ministry for over 10 years. I've seen it. The kids that are faithfully walking with Jesus through college and after college, it wasn't just their mom and dad pointing them to Jesus. They had faithful community around them. And so they got to hear uncles, cousins. They got to hear uh, brothers and sisters in the faith point them to Jesus. They need five gospel-centered relationships. That's why I love kids ministry. That's why I love student ministry. That's why I love the small groups that y'all have at this church because all of that is, yes, is to create discipleship in our us and our kids, but it also helps build that foundation, the covering, the roof over our families. And the beautiful thing about community is in a roof, if you think about just the practical aspects of a roof, it covers us when the storms come. It covers us when the storms, the storms of life will come and crash down on you. And it is so good to have community there beside you to hold you up when you feel like caving in. When the sun is beating down on you, the sun is scorching and the devil is coming after you, it's so good to have the roof of community to shade you from his lies. But the reality is, if we look at this blueprint of laying the foundation of gospel-centered worship, being framed with integrity and being supported by humility and covering us with community, like I said early on, we're going to fail at this. I'm going to fail at this. You will fail at this. David himself fails at this. This is how he wanted to lead the nation of Israel. This is how he wanted to lead his own home, and he fails at this. You, can't, you just can go to one story, David and Bathsheba. He stayed home instead of going to war with his men. He stays home. That was the first thing. He wasn't doing what he was called to do as a man. Then he's up on the roof where he shouldn't have been. Then he sees a woman bathing. He says, hey, I want her. He commits adultery with her. She becomes pregnant. He tries to hide it by sending his, her husband, Uriah, to the front lines to kill him. And then after he does die, he just thinks it's all covered up and no one knows about it until a prophet comes in and sheds light to all his sins. David failed at integrity. He failed at the foundation of laying the gospel. He failed at being humble. He failed at community. We're going to fail. But family, there is encouragement here. Like I said from the very beginning, our father never fails at this. Jesus never fails at this. You can go back and look through Psalm 101. If you want to go from front, down, or back, forward, that's what I'm going to go. I'm going to go backwards from verse 8 all the way back to verse 1. And I just want you to see Jesus leaping off the pages here. Jesus didn't cut us off, but he was cut off so that you and I could have fellowship with God. Jesus is the one who destroys sin and shame by taking on sin and giving us his righteousness. 
Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He presents his house pure and perfect in Ephesians 5. Jesus is perfect in all his ways, and his words are full of life. He walked the way of blamelessness for us. He lived the life that you and I could never live. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and he is preparing a place for us to dwell with him forever. Jesus is the faithful one in the land of unfaithful men. Jesus is the humble servant who stepped out of the throne room of heaven and came to pick up a cross. Jesus is the one who was slandered and falsely accused, yet silent. Jesus is the one that sin couldn't destroy and the grave couldn't hold him. Jesus is the one that knew nothing of evil and his heart was due the will of the Father. Jesus is the one that never wasted a second. His eyes were fixed on the joy that was set before him. Jesus is the one that was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Jesus is the manifestation of the love and justice of God. Jesus is the only song that will last for an eternity. And right now there are angels surrounding his throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Jesus is the great I am. Parents, Take comfort in knowing that our God never fails. And he covers in all our gaps with his grace. As we parent, as we make disciples, as we build a church. I can't think of a better way to enter into communion here in just a second than just reflecting on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So Pastor Ben's going to come up and I just want to pray over you. God, we're so thankful for your grace and your mercy. God, we're so thankful that you build your house and the gates of hell will not prevail against your house, against your church. God, we're thankful that your grace is sufficient. And Father, I lift up every parent that is here this morning. God, that they would look to Jesus. They would look to Jesus first and foremost and that he would truly be the cornerstone, the foundation of their lives. God, I lift up every grandparent that's in the room. God, that they wouldn't waste away any days of their life, but they would be intentional pointing their families to you. God, I lift up any single person in the room that they would be about discipleship of building your house. So Jesus, we fix our eyes on you. Join my pray. And now may the love of a dying Savior, the power of a risen Savior, and the hope of a returning Savior be yours now, this week, forever and always. Amen. Go in peace.